So we were saying that there's four kinds of effort. One is to prevent negative states that haven't arisen from arising and to purify those that have been generated in the past. And the second was to abandon negative states that have already arisen and prevent them from arising again in the future. And then on the positive side, to generate positive states that have not already been generated and to um, uh, rejoice in those that we've created in the past. And then when we have generated positive states, to, the fourth one is to maintain them and to try and create more in the future. Okay? So this all, doing all of this is, it requires effort. And remember, effort isn't pushing. Effort isn't grinding our teeth and <clears throat> It's, it means taking delight, okay? So it's a mind that takes delight in doing these things. And so in order to, to have this kind of effort, and especially those four kinds that we described, there's a few things that are helpful. One is to spend some time contemplating what is constructive and what is destructive. Because if we're able to know, you know, the difference between positive and negative actions, constructive and destructive mental states, then when we go to do these four, we're going to be able to discriminate, well, what did I do in the past that needs purifying? What did I do in the past that I can rejoice about? And what am I going to generate in the future? And what do I want to generate, you know, what am I generating now? What can I generate in the future? So to have some kind of discrimination about what are constructive and what are destructive actions and constructive and destructive mental states. So that's one thing that will help us to, to generate that effort, to spend some time thinking about that. And the second is to become um, aware of our behavior. Okay, so it's not just having some intellectual idea about constructive and destructive actions, but actually becoming more aware of our behavior. And so we talked about this a bit in mindfulness, you know, our body language. We talked about it when we talked about speech and, and um, livelihood and action. You know, all these things becoming mindful of, of what we're doing, becoming aware of our behavior, and not just being on automatical at the time. And then another thing that will help us generate effort is to really have a positive aspiration and an and, and ideal that we want to go towards. Okay? So that we have the goal of our life, the purpose, the meaning of our life very clear. And if that's clear and we have that aspiration for liberation and enlightenment, then, you know, delight in practicing the path becomes very easy. It's like when you have the aspiration to earn money, you know, going to work isn't so bad. When you think all the benefits of earning money, then, you know, you're kind of anxious to go to work. So if you have an ideal in your life and you think of the benefits of enlightenment, then, you know, you take delight in doing the practice. So it's, it's really important when we're practicing to have this mind of delight and to really try and deliberately cultivate it. Um, and we Westerners sometimes have a hard time with that because we, we tend to, to get effort confused with pushing. And we go from the extremes of pushing to the other extreme of just being lackadaisical and lazy and apathetic. And we don't seem to get this, you know, middle way of taking delight. Because both the laziness and the, the, um, the pushing, neither of them has much delight in them. Yeah? I mean, when we're lazy, we're not taking delight in the Dharma. We're just, you know, ugh. Um, and when we're pushing, 
we're we're into our Protestant work ethic culture that we got to achieve and attain and let's go for it and you know. And, and that doesn't bring about this relaxed mental state that we really need for practice. So it's really, you know, working with our mind and having this positive aspiration so that the practice really becomes a delight. Okay? It's very important. And, you know, it's not that our practice is always going to be a, a delight. You know, we go up and down a lot in our practice, and sometimes it seems like it's going well, and sometimes we really feel quite lost, and we feel very bewildered, and we feel like, I'm sitting doing this meditation, I don't know what I'm doing, and my mind hasn't changed. And, you know, all sorts of stuff comes up. I mean, expect that. If you know that that's going to happen, then when it happens, you're not going to fly into chaos thinking, I'm doing something wrong, I'm abnormal. You know, everybody else is blissful and I'm abnormal. Um, but you'll know that this is actually part of the practice and part of what you go through, and you'll have some tools prepared. Because very often what happens is when our practice, you know, kind of hits a low point, what do we do? We stop practicing, don't we? You know, the very time when we have some personal difficulty, we're a little depressed, something is going on in our life, that's the very time when we really need the Dharma the most and where the Dharma can help us. But what do we do often? We just drop it. Yeah, we get overwhelmed by our problem. And sometimes, um, you know, I mean, it, it's we're having some difficulty with our practice. We feel stuck, like we're not going anywhere. And that's the very time when we need to go talk to our teacher. But what do we do? Instead of talking to our teacher, we say, oh, if my teacher knows what a lousy student I am and how bad my pra- practice is, they'd never talk to me anyway. So we don't talk to our teacher and we withdraw. And it's so interesting, you know, that that the times when we have these resources available to us to really help with our practice, we have the community of Dharma friends to talk with and who understand the same problems, we have our teachers, we have, you know, our time to meditate. And so often when we run into a glitch, we just drop the whole Kit Kat caboodle, you know. And like, (laughs) I just remember when we did one retreat at, at Cloud Mountain, um, for those of you who know Phil, he was saying that sometimes we did this with the evaluation, you know, he was saying, well, sometimes in the middle of the retreat, I just felt so awful. My practice wasn't going anywhere, and I was going to go back and be a Presbyterian again. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, at least there's John, Luke, Mark, and those are names I can say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And so, you know, I mean, this is just part of what happens. But, you see, he had paid for the whole retreat, so he stuck it out. <laughs> this is the disadvantage of, of, doing da- of doing Dharma on Donna basis, okay, is that when you pay, then you stick it out because you want to get your money's worth. When it's on Donna, you say, well, I didn't do anything anyway, so let's drop it. You know, it's very strange how our mind works in the West. <laughs> Uh, but but just remember, you know, when your energy is low, that's the time really to seek out the resources that, that are available. You know, I just got a letter from somebody who was saying that, uh, you know, she felt that her practice was kind of stuck and her Dharma energy low. And then she went to, to Geshe List teachings over the weekend and it was like, 
oh, wow, he put it all in perspective, what we've been doing in the long run class, and it all kind of came together. And so, I mean, this is the advantage sometimes of just renewing, you know, your involvement with the group and the teacher and the Dharma and everything going around, is that you often get, you know, that thing that, that you really need at that moment. And I very often had the experience when I was living in India, um, especially studying with Kishino and Darge, that uh, I'd be talking with Dharma friends about something and we'd be stuck and we'd be wondering about something and how does this work and how does that work. And then the next day we go into class and Geshe-la answers the question. I mean, it's just remarkable. So, you know, if you kind of keep making that effort and, 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 you know, don't take all your mental states so seriously, then when you get stuck, you can really keep going, you know, because being stuck is impermanent too. Okay? And so that just, you know, will help you renew that sense of purpose and the delight in practicing the Dharma. Because yeah? uh, Lama Zoka used to say the Dharma's, um, you know, the Dharma isn't difficult, it's just our mind that makes it that way. <laughs> and so it's our mind that makes it easy also. And it's our mind that takes delight and feels inspired. Now, and so other times, you know, when you lack effort, it might be good to, to read some of the biographies of the past practitioners. You know, you go and you read Milarepa's biography. Yeah. And like the times when we're feeling like, oh, you know, I can't possibly get anywhere in my practice. My mind's just so awful. You know, my life is so awful. You go read Miller Repa, he killed, what was it, 30-something people before he came to the Dharma? I mean, at least we didn't do that. Now, he became a Buddha in that lifetime. And when you get depressed, oh, my relationship with my teacher isn't working well, and I can't stand this group, and blah, blah, blah. You know, then you you look at Melarepa, and he went, and Marpa made him build buildings with these huge, enormous rocks. He built a, a nine-story um, building with rocks, and then Marpa would come along and say, I don't like that one at the bottom. Take it <laughs> and he had to do it. Yeah. And then, he'd go to, then he would go, and he'd request teachings from Marpa, and, and, and Marpa would kick him out, you know, or Marpa would be teaching other disciples and Milarepa would go sit in the back and Marpa would say, what are you doing here? Get out of here. No? But you see, because he had that noble aspiration, he had that long-term purpose, no? and he knew his teacher well, he knew the path, he knew where he wanted to go, then he just, you know, saw all of those kinds of things as purification and he just went through the difficulties. And so it's helpful to think, you know, Martha built and tore down these nine-story buildings so many times with a lot of effort and faith and devotion. And so when we run into a glitch in our practice, you know, let's realize, well, maybe our glitch isn't nearly as bad as his was. And, and you know, find our, our inner resources and our delights so that we can continue, okay? An important thing in, in um, not in not getting yourself to the point where you're, you know, where your process, where your practice is stuck, stuck is this whole thing of really taking care to be very, very balanced, you know, and don't push yourself. Don't get into one of these Dharma frenzies of, I'm going to become a Buddha before next month, you know, and I'm going to do all of the 100,000 prostrations in one month, and here I go, you know, and set yourself these, you know, grandiose expectations. 
Yeah, because if, if you set grandiose, very high expectations in a short period of time, then you're not going to have the patience to continue, you know, because change happens slowly. And you're not going to be able to fulfill your expectations, and then you're going to go, wow, it didn't work, and give it up. You know, when it wasn't designed to work in one month, it's something that takes time. And in a similar way, um, you know, avoiding high expectations and and really avoiding burnout, avoiding this mind that just pushes and pushes and pushes and pushes, um, but taking it easy so that we can be consistent. Okay, so taking it easy doesn't mean lazy. It just means being relaxed, having a relaxed mind, doing something at an even, consistent pace instead of with, you know, this Protestant work ethic mentality. It's very important. Very important. Um, when we do feel our, our energy going, or even when we don't feel our energy going, it's helpful to reflect on some other things to keep it up. And one is to reflect on the fact that we're healthy. Yeah, Because often we take our health for granted. And, and we think, well, you know, I don't feel like doing Dharma now, I'll do it later. But if we really think, well, wow, I'm healthy and Dharma practice is so much easier when I'm healthy. So let's use that time when I'm healthy now so that if later on I lose my health and I get sick, I'll have this Dharma practice behind me. You know, I won't regret having wasted my time and I'll have all the enriched, the enrichment that comes from practicing that will sustain me when I'm sick. So really, you know, remember that that we're healthy. Remember that we're young. You know, this is a relative thing. You know, the definition of young changes every year. Okay, 40 used to be old. 40 is now young. Um, Okay, but to remember that, that we are young. And so, you know, Dharma practice, again, is much easier when we're young, when we're healthy, when our body moves well. And so to take advantage of that time. Instead of saying, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just live my life in pleasure, and then when I'm 60 or 70 and I can't move and there's nothing else to do, then I'll do dharma. Okay, so instead of that attitude, practice now with really this sense of appreciation for our youth, so that then when we get old, there will be no regret, and there will also be this whole store of, of positive energy that sustains us in our old age. I mean, you look at Geshe Zopan, he's 70-something. Yeah? I mean, you look at him. He doesn't seem that old, does he? I mean, physically he doesn't, and mentally definitely not. And this is through the force of his practice. Or for those of you who know Grace McLeod, she's, um, she lives not too far from here. She's an old Buddhist in the area. She's 84 or 85 now. Really wonderful person. She's been practicing many years. And, you know, you go over and talk to her, and her mind's really alert and happy and cheerful. And, you know, it comes as a benefit of, of the Dharma practice. And so if we remember that, you know, that our, the practice we do now will really sustain us when we're older, then again, it helps us take the light in doing the practice. Another factor to, to remember is that we have enough money to practice right now. 
Yeah. And and again, this is a situation that could change. I mean, who knows what will happen to the world economy. And there could be a time later on in our life where we don't have the physical resources to be able to practice. But now we actually have that, and it's possible to practice. And so again, taking advantage of that opportunity instead of taking it for granted, instead of being blasé. But really looking, yeah, I, I mean... I have the physical where with all the money, the resources to be able to practice. I'm not living out on the streets. The American economy isn't in shambles. I can go on retreat. I can do this and that. And so taking taking advantage of that. I think also it's important to remember that we have religious freedom. And especially when you think of those young men in China. You know, I told you this story. And, I mean... We don't know, again, how long that we're going to have that opportunity. I mean, when I, when I, I, I sat down and thought about their dilemma, I mean, I just saw how much I take our freedom here for granted. I'm just so blasé about having the freedom to have, to practice Dharma, to be able to travel, to be able to invite teachers, to be able to meet in a group like this. And we don't know how long we're going to have this opportunity. And I think I told you before, my friend Alex, he went to, Czechoslovakia, you know, before the revolution, before it, uh, the communist regime fell. And when he went there to teach Dharma in someone's home, everybody had to come at a different time. And in the outer room, they arranged cards and beer, like everybody was playing cards. And then they went in the inner room to do the Dharma teaching. But they had the whole show of the card game in case the police came. You know? So just to remember that we don't have to do that. We have that freedom to really practice. And again, to really appreciate that and, and take advantage of it. So when we really think about these things, you know, then it gives us much more energy and, and delight in doing our practice. Because we see actually comparatively we have um, very few obstacles. You know, it's really quite easy for us to practice. And again, remembering too that, that we've been able to encounter the Dharma. I mean, it's quite possible to have been born in a country where there's no Buddhist teachings, where there's no, where you can't encounter the Dharma. So you might have that same spiritual thirst that you have now, but no way to satisfy it. Because you're born in, in, in a country where there's no access to, to spiritual teachings. So pre, to, to really appreciate what we have going for us, the easy access we have to Dharma and to opportunities to practice. And then that gives us the energy to do the practice. 